Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bagger Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness, and thanks for listening. I'm your host, Barnaby Howarth. This is a show designed to help people realise there is greatness in being in everyday Harry Sacker roles. The story of Greg Castle isn't a complex one, but it's inspiring in its simplicity. Greg is just a really good bloke who's given a lot of good things to the world over the years. So when adversity struck Greg's family and his wife Deb was diagnosed with breast cancer, he called on the community and they got around him like he's got around them so often. Greg started hosting a fundraising ball to raise money for the Breast Cancer Institute of New South Wales. He hoped a few people might turn up and it might raise a bit of cash. But it ended up being so much more. The best breast ball was held four times while Deb came in and out of remission. Sadly, Deb had passed away before the last ball. But it's left a legacy that would make Deb and Greg both immensely proud. The ball raised over $300,000. 300 people attended the first ball. Then for each of the following three, over 700 people attended each one. Greg's story gets a little more complex now. Before Deb passed, they had two young boys to raise and Greg had a a successful physiotherapy clinic to maintain. His story may have got more complex, but his strategy didn't. When Greg lost his wife, he had a long road ahead of him. But he knew that to get to the end of it, he just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Greg just did more of the simple things. He went out with friends for lunch, kept working hard at his business, respected the people around him, and kept a smile on his face the whole time. Greg used the accumulation of the small things in his life to build stores of resilience, and he's now a proud father, a successful businessman, and still a really good bloke. Greg Castle joins me now on Everyday Greatness. Greg, thanks for joining us and welcome to Everyday Greatness. Thank you, Barnaby. So you were the head physiotherapist at the Pennant Hills Demons Aussie Rules Club, which is a melting pot for stupid nicknames. How did you get the nickname The Phantom? Well, there was a club newsletter that used to come out periodically and uh, someone thought it was a good idea to, for me to have a little blog, a physio blog in there. And uh, so I, I think you may have had something to do with it. And so the physio blog was called The Phantom Physio. And so I'd uh, put in there a few, uh, you know, try to put together some words of wisdom for the guys. And uh, the blog was called The Phantom Physio. And, from, uh, and uh, that's the story. Footballers aren't smart people. <laughs> so at Pennant Hills, did you strategically make friends with people there because you thought they might come in handy down the track or did you just hang out with them because they were really good people you enjoyed hanging out with? Yeah, look, it just evolved because 
there were just so many great people at the club and still are that uh, it was just infectious to feel part of it. Uh, I would go back to the club after games frequently for the presentation and because I just enjoyed it. So, I, I, you know, I could have just headed off home, I guess, but I felt part of uh, uh, the club. They made me feel part of it. And so the friendships just grew uh, over time. And that started way back in 2000, which was my first year at the club. And my tenure there finished in 2000 and I had 11 seasons there. And, yeah, still maintain those friendships, you know, today. And I'm sure some of those will endure for life. I'm sure they will. With the advantage of hindsight as an everyday bloke, did you think you had the resilience you needed to cope when your wife, Deb, was diagnosed with cancer? Well, I think I had a pretty good resilience, uh, to be honest, because uh, I was just through my upbringing. I was uh, one of four kids and we were sort of taught or had to be independent from a pretty young age. And my parents were off a lot doing their own things and sports and what have you. And uh, it was just something that we learnt. Uh, and there was obviously competition between the only one of four. Uh, so that breeds a bit of resilience as well amongst your siblings. So I think that that, that um, uh, upbringing helped. Plus along with my sporting upbringing and just, reading a competitive nature, never give in. That's from where the resilience came from. So when when Deb got sick, what made you decide to start hosting the Best Breast Ball? Well, we went to a function that New South Wales Breast Cancer Institute held called the Best Breast Breakfast, which was an annual event. And we thought, look, let's, um, you know, we're sort of in this breast cancer journey now. We'll, we'll go and we'll support this uh this event and uh, it was, you know, it was wonderful. It was great to, you know, to, to meet some other people who uh, were involved in the management of, of breast cancer or had been affected by it. Uh, medical people that worked, you know, with, uh, with the, the Institute. And from that, I had an idea that, well, maybe a, a, a night event, a ball, um, could be something that we could, we could do, and I thought that would help institute if we would get something out of it in terms of it would be it would be uplifting for Deb uh, and myself to give us some positive focus, and so that's how it, how it was born. A lot of your different worlds came together for the ball: your old friendships, your business world, and your sporting world. Who were some of the more memorable acts from the Best Breast Ball? Oh, without a doubt, uh, a lady named Sissy, who uh, back then when we first met her at the Best Breast Breakfast, she was 95, and she performed this tap dance that uh, was just remarkable for someone that age to pull off. She'd been a, a dance and performer her whole life, and uh, you know she would the crowd at the breakfast. And uh, so we asked her if she would come to the first ball, uh, we also used that night as a means by which we got her house repainted. Um, we had people volunteer and what have you. And 
for that. And so uh, she got that out of that. It was, it was, it was a great thing. But also um, the, the other acts that were memorable were the big band. So it was a 20-piece big band, so a big brass band, and they were classy. Uh, and we also had, of course, um, you know, the, the, the rock sort of music side of it with Dave Faulkner from the Hoodoo Gurus and, of course, Doc Mason from the Angels. And that, that was just um, phenomenal. Dave Faulkner and Doc Neeson are some big names. How did you get them to sing at the ball? What strategy did you use to get them to say yes? Well, uh, Dave Faulkner was uh, very good friends with a lifelong mate of mine. And uh, so I you know, asked him to, to ask Forco and uh, uh, he was able to do that and and um, uh, convinced Forco it was a worthwhile cause. And, um, and in relation to Doc Neeson, well, he uh, actually lived in Westmead for a while where my clinic uh, used to be. And he uh, turned up at the clinic one day, you know, with that back pain and I was his, became his physio. And from there, just, we became really great close friends. And so... Uh, when I asked him, he was more than happy to do it. Beautiful. So did you end up getting a bit overwhelmed by the success of the ball when you saw the amount of money it was raising and the amount of people buying tickets? I was really humbling because uh, our goal uh, for the first one was to try and raise $10,000. And we raised uh, around 40000 just over $40,000 at the first uh, ball, uh, I was. I had a fear of failure, which uh, was of it, you know, flopping. Uh, and so I thought uh, ten grand was was, uh, you know, not aiming too high. And and we obviously uh, went way over that, and um, and it just you know, really sort of took off from there. And how much help did you get from the community around you in organising and running the ball? Oh, a massive amount. It was, we didn't, I didn't really have an organising committee uh, as such. Uh, I was able to just spend a lot of late nights um, when uh, Deb and the kids were in bed just um, emailing um, various um, companies, um, try to do as much as I can through through personal contacts or personal affiliations because that was just generally much more successful because there was a personal touch to it and they were generally, you know, had a lot more, you know, chance of success of agreeing to, you know, con- contribute in some way. And, yeah, it was quite overwhelming how many um, you know, people, how many uh, companies were willing to donate uh, gifts or, uh, you know, prizes or, or uh, events, you know, uh, to use to auction off and raise money for the event. It sounds as though you were doing things as just a, a nice bloke, just asking people and hoping they'd say yes. What exactly did the community, the everyday people in the community, do around you to help you? Well, look, more of that came after uh, after Deb had passed, um, to be honest. Um, so, but um, some of it came prior. I can remember... Um, the Pennant Hills Footy Club uh, having a working bee at my house. We had moved out of our family home into Deb's 
parents' home at Castle Hill. We moved there for the last six months of her life because it was just we needed you know, a bit more help, and her parents were able to provide that. They, they had a big house, the extra room, and Deb was being cared for there at home. Uh, I was still able to work, even though I'd cut back. And uh, so my place, or our, our house, had sort of uh, gone to ruin, but there was certainly... Uh, was pretty well overgrown and, and needed some TLC, so they did a working bee there. Um, and guys from the footy club came and helped out with that, which I'll never forget. Uh, it was, you know, extremely helpful. Um, they, um, the footy club also came in large numbers to the ball and, you know, and contributed there in a big way. And of course, after David passed, they helped to, the ladies, the girlfriends and the wives helped to organise the wake. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and food and some of the logistics with that. Uh, and just uh, something I'll never forget. When you look back on things around the time when Deb passed, how does it make you feel when you consider that when the chips were down for your family, further down than most chips go, that you stood up to be counted as a husband and father and put on this ball that would have made your wife so happy and given her so much positivity? Well, it's something that I, I look back on and I'm really happy that we did it uh, because, uh, you know, it's created a lot of lasting memories uh, and uh, uh, my new friendships out of, out of that. Uh, it, um, it's also something that I wanted the boys to be able to look back on in time because they were only three and seven when she was diagnosed. So when the balls were occurring... You know, they were, well, by the time the last ball had, had, had happened, they were, uh, well, you know, so they were only, you know, sort of another, um, uh, let me think. Actually, actually, when the last ball was on, they were three and seven. Okay. So they were, when, when she was diagnosed, um, they were, Ryan was only six weeks old and Jordan was three. So the very last ball, they were three and seven. And so Jordan can remember that, Ryan can't, but there's videos, photos, um, and that's, you know, going to be wonderful for them, obviously. And uh, um, so, yeah, I'm just quite quite proud of what, what we did. And it was extremely uplifting for Deb each of those years. And that was really the, the number one thing that, that well, number one importance that uh, um, to try and help her because she looked forward to it so much. And well, you should be proud, Phantom. Your struggles didn't stop, though, when you lost Deb. As you said, you had two young boys who were grieving because they just lost their mother. How did you manage helping them with their grief when you probably had so much to deal with yourself? Well, it's a good question. They're, they're, um, I mean, it was really just... Uh, I'd just battle your way through as best you could. Um Kids' grief is very different to an adult's grief um, because uh, my grief was really all-consuming and overwhelming, and it felt like it just—it was a constant pressure that just enveloped you and never left. Whereas kids' grief uh, would would come and go, and it'd often be only there, you know, quite fleetingly, because they possess. This remarkable ability to um, be uh, phenomenal copers 
part of that uh, coping just comes through being kids. They're, they're, they're distracted easily. Uh, you know, their, their attention can just go to, to anything else really, really, really fast and they mm-hmm. can just forget about it and they tend not to dwell on things you know, like adults can. So, so I try to keep them as busy as possible um, uh, with, with, you know, going and just and spending as much time as we could getting out and about, um, getting out in the boat, you know, going away, riding motorbikes, uh, although Ryan was too young then at the time, but just getting, um, yeah, just, just not sitting at home and feeling sorry for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So your boys and our young men, how proud of the two of them are you today? Well, I'm, I'm very proud. They're 16 and 20 now. And, uh, uh, but I'm most proud when other people tell me, um, you know, what young, fine young men they've turned into. Uh, that's, that I get the, the, the biggest kick out of that because that's, that, that's, um, to me is, 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 is better than my own biased view, you know, of them. And I've been told that many times and, and, uh, I'm really humbled by that. I'm very proud of that because I know that ultimately, uh, uh, they, you know, would give her a tick of approval on on how they've on how they've uh, turned out. Mm-hmm. When you were younger, did you ever develop friendships, considering the fact that you might come to rely on them so much in the future? For example, when you signed up to be the head physiotherapist at the Pentacle Demons, did you have any idea how important being part of a huge community might be later down the track? Oh, absolutely not, because uh, my my motive to be involved with Pen, uh, a, a, you know a club like Pennyhill Football Club was to get more uh, to get exposure in 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 sports sports physio field. Uh, I'd been involved in sports physio for a few years, but I was I was only sort of my third year out of working since graduating, um, and I'd helped with other clubs that you know, I really wanted to. Get involved, sink my teeth into the club, which I could sort of call, you know, my own, as it were, um, and uh, and and really, you know, learn and grow from that, you know, professionally. But what came out of it was, you know, was much more than I ever realised back at the time. Mm-hmm. As an everyday Joe bag of donuts, do you ever regret not having superhuman strength or resilience to help you through when Deb got sick? Or has just being a good bloke been enough for you? <laughs> well, I'm not sure about the good bloke bit, but I, I, I'm actually, uh, I actually think that I did have uh, a good amount of resilience there uh, to help. And it's something that you never really know what you're capable, capable of until you get, you know, thrown in the deep end. And so a lot of people might, you know, might uh, think that they that they couldn't do this or couldn't do that, but ultimately, they just don't know what they're capable of a lot of the time, and and it's uh, sometimes not until you're faced with some adversity that you uh, then are able to find out what you can really accomplish. Very well said, Greg Castle. I know you've got a fiftieth birthday to get to, so I'm going to let you go. But thank you, Greg, for joining us on Everyday Greatness. Thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor. Thanks to Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. And thank you all for listening.
I hope that when you put your device down in a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag Donuts. At Everyday Greatness, we're not trying to be something we're not. We're just trying to help people realise that being a real person is good enough. Everything you need to be the person you want to be is inside you right now. If you would like to have a chat or you have suggestions or comments, don't worry about the don't worry about getting in touch through the business channels. Give me a call 0404-851-203. I hope you can join us next week when I'll be speaking to Paul Charles. Paul is a young Paul was a young fellow when a handrail slide at a Bucks party went wrong. He had a stroke and was in a coma for 42 days. I hope you can join us to hear about Paul's journey through resilience to get back to the life he wanted to live. Thank you again for joining me, and I hope you can join us next week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Greatness, proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group. If you'd like to stay up to date, check out our pages on Facebook and Instagram, or to listen to more episodes, go to everydaygreatness.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts.